Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to this episode of The Mentor, and I'm Mark Boris. Now this week... I have to say, uh, we pulled a few strings. We actually were able to get the Prime Minister of this country, the Honourable Scott Morrison, and he's come in to talk about all things politics, but I guess most importantly, how he sees the Australian economy relative to our small business community that are our great listeners and our great audience. Now, I'm not going to beat about the push. I am a Scott Morrison fan, but I also think it's really important that I put to him some questions that... He needs to answer and he needs to put on the table those answers for people who are in business. Because if you're in business, it's a tough gig. And I don't think Scott's suggesting that he's going to make it easier for anybody. But I do suggest that this party, this government, has in their mind, they're not going to make it any harder. That's sort of where this conversation, I think, is going to go. What is it that they're going to do to try and maintain the status quo? and not make it harder, given all the headwinds that are occurring around the world today. And it is a pretty volatile world. So in this podcast, we have a chat about things that relate to his family, etc. And I try to find out where he gets his drive from, and that's really important. But then we sort of bleed it into talking about how small businesses should be looking at the macroeconomics and the macro environment for themselves for a future government, whichever government they decide to vote for. So this is an important one. Listen to it, and let's get into it. Prime Minister Scott Morrison, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Hey, Mark. It's great to be here. Thanks very much. I've got to say, the asset, um, I've got to declare my position. Uh, I'm a Scott Morrison fan, and uh, so if you think this, uh, I'm going a bit soft on him. I'm not. I just happen to, I happen to believe in the bloke. So, And that's not the reason he's here, but I happen to believe in him. So, Thanks, Mark. Here we go. Um, okay, well, it was, uh, you've been in the chair now 21 weeks. Is you 21 this week, <laughs> Prime Minister? Yeah, well, it's been quite a 21 weeks and uh, we've been getting a lot done over that period of time. I mean, it started off you know, being out there um, in drought affected communities out in Western Queensland and in Quilpie. And um, we've kept on with that work all the way through. There's uh, been no let up on the drought too, as we know. And uh, we've got farmers and rural communities all around the country uh, who are doing it pretty tough. But, uh, you know, since those that day, I mean, we've been rolling out that program, a million bucks going out into every single council area that affected by the drought um, I know we've got a lot more challenges there. We've seen what's been happening up in the Murray-Darling Basin with the fish kill. We're on that issue as well, but there's no shortage of issues, but we've been into every single one of them and uh, keeping focused on uh, providing that leadership on those issues, but uh, providing a clear direction for the future, which you and I know, if you don't have a strong economy, can't do much at all. 100%. And well... 21 weeks of flat out, and it's not to say prior to that as a treasury yeah. you weren't flat out. It's not as if you've sort of been resting up ready to jump into this uh, into this game. Mm. Where do you get your energy from? I mean, where, how, do you feel, how do you do it? Like I mean, a lot of small business people listening to this, yeah. Prime Minister, who run out of energy and they, have, they, probably got, they probably think politicians sit around there in the mothership down there in Canberra and uh, have dinners at night down somewhere <laughs> in one of those fancy places in Monaco or whatever, when in actual fact it's the opposite. Where do you get your energy from? Well, I spend actually very little time in Canberra, to be honest. I spend most of my time um, all around the country. That's one of the great privileges of the job. You, you get to meet Australians in every single walk of life uh, and talk to them about what's going on with them. Um, even when on your, on your break, or when I was on my break down at the Shoalhaven Heads Hotel, we had a great night. And the next day with some, some a lot of the people who were staying down there and having a good chat about things. But uh, I was up, you know, been up in Cairns and been over in the West, been down in Tasmania, uh, across in South Australia, um, you know, down to places like Wyala and so on. And, and, and you just see the great 
expanse of the country and and the diversity of our people. But uh, what what inspires you, because this is such a, a great job, because you have such a great privilege, is the stuff you can do every day. I mean, just recently, I met a bloke called Bruno uh, down at uh, Ringwood uh, Hospital. And, and where's you know, that? Where's Ringwood? Down, down in Melbourne. Down right. In, it's an electorate of Deakin in Michael Suker's electorate. And um, you know, Bruno just had got the worst news several years ago. He's got three young kids uh, and diagnosed with lung cancer. Never smoked a cigarette in his life. Um, but we were able to announce to Griso, um, which is a, a drug which uh, prolongs people's life and uh, deals and gives them a, a quality of life. And we've been able to put that on the pharmaceutical benefit scheme. He'd been on it um, as a, a trial program, clinical trials, and uh, and it's changed his life. And I tell you, when I saw him, mate, he almost looked as as fit as you. He he, he looked great, and he looked good in himself. And the fact that that costs eight thousand dollars a script. Wow. Now it's going to cost forty bucks, just over forty bucks a script. So that's life changing. So when you can do these things in this job, well, it's not hard to find the energy. <laughs> Yeah, but I, mean, I, I yeah, but it's it's a sort of it's not for you. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I run businesses and what everything I do, not everything I do, but largely what I do, I'm trying to establish a value. Yeah. And what you're doing is you're establishing a value for somebody else, like it's for the country. No, where where does that come from? Like, is that is that because you know where you got brought up? Is that from your nurturing, or do you think it's just in your DNA? Is it something you inherited from your mum or your dad? Well, my parents always taught me they were. Um my dad, dad was a policeman. We discussed yep. that last time. Mum, mum worked in admin jobs in you know local schools and medical practices and things like this. But uh, they were very active in their community outside of their jobs. Yeah, they worked hard, um, but outside of their jobs, they were active in their church and their local community organisations. All of this. And my brother and I were sort of taught that life wasn't about what you accumulated; it's what you contribute. And but mate, I don't think that's different. <laughs> I mean, yeah, what yeah, you're yeah. talking about, you create a business. When I talk to business people, people have run small businesses. They don't sit there telling me about their profits. They tell me about the kid they employed. Mm. They, they told me about the, you know, the wedding they went to, um, for the apprentice that they put on. Yep. And, uh, and they talk to me about the person, you know, if they're later in life and they're sort of moving out of their business, um, the people who are now running it, which is either their kids or, you know, they're creating things, they're giving things. And, uh, that's the thing I love about small and family businesses is they're part of the community. It's, you know, they're, they're not these big sort of faceless corporates. They are the heart and soul of suburban, regional, rural communities all around the country. And without them, we're stuffed. Totally. It, it, it's, it's sort of an interesting, because uh, like for me, everything in my life I try to do is I always try to build adventures. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and to, I don't care, with, I mean, I do care if it fails. I don't want it to fail, but it's more the adventure. I mean, you're I'm not maybe, scared of failing. I'm not scared. Well, I can't be because yeah. otherwise I'll never go on the adventure. It's yeah, a bit exactly. like someone's got to climb a mountain. And, but I think the biggest adventure you could possibly do, because I've been observing this over the last few years, the biggest adventure you could possibly do for me in this country, at least is politics. And you're now the prime minister. So you're scaling the biggest mountain and you're uh -huh. known at ropes because I mean, I, I, cause I just watch how, uh, the media sled you. I, I, and, and it's part of the game. I get it. Yeah, but yeah. I just wonder what it is that is overwhelmingly strong in your mind that can, apart from these little wins that you get, yeah. that's strong in your mind that drives you to continue on irrespective of the stuff that gets thrown at you. Well, it's because you love your country. <laughs> um, yeah. And you, you mean that though? Yeah. It's, um, and there's and, not a pitch though, is no, it? No, no. You really believe you, it. You do. Why, why, why would you do this? That's, <laughs> that's why I keep unless, saying. Unless you didn't. And, uh, it's, it is a privilege and we're all wired different ways and we all serve in different ways. Some people coach the local footy team. Uh, some people start businesses. You know, some people teach in schools, work as paramedics, uh, are fireys. Um, um, some people go into politics. Um, it, we all do what we, what, we, what we are passionate about and that's where you drive your energy from. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, I mean, we talked about, you know, fear of failure. Well, in this country, we're built by people who had a go. And if you have a go, there's always a risk of failure. And I think one of the things in politics um, and the coverage of politics, which is uh, sort of, I, you know, I think needs to be improved, is, you know, you've got to try different things in politics. Some things will work. Some policies will work. And, uh, and I've always said, look, let's have a crack at this. I mean, the stuff we did around youth employment uh, with small businesses, which has been very successful. We had all our, our knockers about this. But we've had the most successful year of youth employment growth that Australia's ever had. We had youth unemployment come down in the most recent figures. That's the thing I'm probably 
um, of all the things that we're achieving as a government and have achieved and, and want to keep achieving, getting young people into jobs is number one. Because you get a young person into a job, you change their life. Um, Warren Mundine, he's our new candidate down at Gilmore. And Warren was telling me this story about his grandfather. And, you know, Warren's a great Indigenous Australian. And he's now runs a lot of businesses. He's a very successful guy. But he said it all changed for his family when his grandfather got a job. It was a rouseabout. He said it was a hard job and all the rest of it. But for his family, um, the example was created of you get a job. That's what you do. And uh, a job changes a family. A job changes a community. And for a young person, it changes their life. Yeah, well, I, I, and I, I actually heard Warren Mundine being interviewed. Uh, it was only yesterday, and um, and, and everyone's carrying on about it. he was ex something rather than a relation of the Labor Party. Mm. I, who gives a stuff at the end of the day? I don't really care. Yeah. Right now, he's been pre-selected to to stand. Now, it's not going to be an easy win for him, is it? No. Well, this is the thing about Warren. You know, he turns up for the hard fights. <laughs> totally, it's, it's a tough, uh, tough he, place. He has chosen to be in the most marginal-held seat. Um, in New South Wales by our government. So it's not, it's not as if he's been handed a gift. He has no, to fight for this. He didn't. he didn't want some of rails run. He didn't, you know, want all that. As a, a very successful person going into politics, sometimes they ask for that sort of thing. But no, no, he, A, was happy to go and fight right on the front line, and B, he wanted to be uh, in a regional part of Australia. And this is his ancestral home down in the So South, his people come South from Coast. there. Yeah, his people go back. And when the people go, oh, you know, he hasn't lived here. Mate, his people were there yeah, long, <laughs> long before ago. anyone else totally. was there. So when, it, when you're talking about local status, Indigenous Australians on the South Coast, I think, have got the march on the, on the rest of us. Uh, but, you know, that, that's his story. And uh, that's why I was so keen when Warren came to me and I came, you know, we, we met up because we've known each other a while. And he was keen to be part of the team because they're the things that drive him. And they're the things he found that the Labor Party, I don't want to get too political today, Mark, but no. um, they were the things he felt they no longer believed in. And him having a go, creating jobs, getting people into jobs, knowing that that comes from small businesses, family businesses, particularly in regional communities where he grew up. He knows that if small and family businesses, medium-sized businesses don't fire, regional communities don't have a future. Yeah. And that's why you know small and family business, regional policy are the same thing. And that's why you need someone in the region to drive that. Absolutely. It's harder to drive it at the Prime Minister's level. It's better to be driven well, at the regional level. You've got to have your members on the ground because they're, they're, they're rolling the stuff out. They know, you know, the, the urban infrastructure, road congestion issues that need to be sorted, or they know the small businesses that uh, uh, should be encouraged to apply for an innovation grant or how they could link up with an export program or things like this. But uh, um, we're talking a, little bit, a lot about Warren today, but that's fine, I reckon, because he's a great bloke to talk about. But um, when Warren was being asked by the local papers down there, said, what do you want to do? He just said, jobs. Yeah, that's jobs. what I heard him say. Jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and he's and, right. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's exactly what I heard him say. And I, yeah. and I, I thought that hit a, hit a nerve when you talk about a regional area. And talking about, and going back to home, I, I actually, I've met one of your children. I met your daughter yeah, yeah. at the footy once when, yeah, when you were there to watch the, that's right, Lily. And, uh, and it seems to me she's very close to you. And yeah. one of the... I I, of course, yeah, yeah, totally. And I've been looking at the photos you post up on your Instagram. And yeah. one of the things I want to ask you is, I mean, I've been through, um, you know, like as a business guy and I've, when I've dedicated all my time to my businesses, unfortunately, I haven't been able to keep my families together. I've my kids are together, but I've been divorced a few times and, and regrettably I can say that and, uh, and expensively, um, <laughs> I can say that too, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but one of the things the, the you must have an amazingly, um, understanding family. Oh, um, yeah. We've, Jenny and I have been married 29 years, just yep. a few weeks ago. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, and uh, she deserves the congratulations. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, because, I mean, I, I had a pastor um, years ago who said to me, he said, yeah, birthdays you have every year because you just got a year older and you survived. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, good. Yeah, tick. Uh, but, you know, anniversaries are harder. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> they, they take two people. And, uh, and I've been incredibly blessed with Jenny. I mean, we started going out when we were in high school. So, I mean, I was 16 when we started going out. So we've been together all of our lives. And uh, so I suppose when you, you have a relationship and you grow up together effectively, you yeah. know, we became adults together, yeah. you know, we've gone through all sorts of things over our life and, um, you know, having kids and, and all that, and there's a long wait for that. And that was hard and you've been in different places. So your experiences are shared all the way through and you're tested. And when you can get through those testing times, it just makes your marriage, I think, stronger. So, you know, always, but that's, you know, I've always seen, you know, 
I've, I've been with my parents still together, still have been all their lives. Um, similar story. And it was the same with Jen's parents as well. So we've had great, you know, um, stability in our family life and we want to provide the same thing for our kids, which is, you know, difficult to do in a job like this. I mean, I've, you know, I've had some colleagues, um, who have decided not to contest the next election for family reasons. And I, I get that. I mean, you know, you want them to keep going, but I understand it. Because it's it's one of the great I have to tell you, for me when someone does does what you're doing and continues to do what you're doing in relation to your family apart from what you do in in government and in your job it's one of the great achievements for somebody to me anyway I think it's a great achievement. Well, politicians get a bit of flack too. I've noticed, particularly on this family thing, when they say they will retire. I mean, a bloke on the other side, I remember uh, Mark Abib. Yeah. Um. You, I, you, yeah, I know you, Mark. You know yeah. Mark. Mm. I remember when Mark um retired from politics and he hadn't been in and he was a minister at the time and he. And people went, oh, why did he go? And they wanted to read yeah. all sorts of other movies. Oh, he's got to get out because of this and all that sort of thing. And and no, he just wanted to see his kids. Yeah. And when people make those calls, I, I, I think it's important to look at every single case in their own right. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think politicians at all should whinge about anything, frankly. I mean, we get looked after. If you don't like the gig and you don't like the conditions, we'll go and do something else. Um, but... Uh, the, and I think the conditions are good, by the way. I think we get well looked after. Um, and people would say probably too well. But uh, that said, you know, the taxing time on the family and that. Um, you know, when they say, look, I've got to do that, I, I reckon that's fair enough. And you, you give people that space and, and you don't try and politicise it. You just, you've got to respect the decisions people make. Well, and Mark, <clears throat> Mark's wife is... Uh a Mad Rooster supporter. Yes. And, of course, he's a Mad South supporter. He's on the board. I don't know how they even keep that family together. I mean, I don't know how that all works. But I mean, That's it, probably a way to leave politics. Exactly. That was the thing that couldn't. <laughs> totally. Well, he, and I do notice since he left politics, uh, he used to come to our games, but he doesn't come to our games anymore. He just yeah. goes to the South games. Yeah. I, just talking around, you know, you know, Labor guys or someone like Arbib, yeah. how much difference is there? Is there... Is the difference between Labor and Liberal that broad or is it more the individuals within the parties is broader? You endeavour not to make politics about personalities, and inevitably that does happen. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty heated and uh, this is heavy combative uh, environment because there's a lot at stake. Yeah, yeah. And we're all passionate about why we're there and, and why we're doing it and how we think that the show should be run. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, people should check themselves and not go too far. Yep. Occasionally we do, and you know you regret it afterwards, but you know that's politics, um, and you move on. I, I got to say, I mean, I think the differences between uh, the parties these days are greater, as, as great as they were, yeah, probably back in the 50s. It uh, seems as a bit of a shift. It's a big shift. Yeah. Um, I mean, the days when Paul Keating and, and Bob Hawke was around, mm. I mean, we didn't agree with them either back then, but the differences were, were narrower. Yeah. And I remember when they were in government, uh, and, and you know, John Howard and Andrew Peacock, all those guys back then, they were doing things in the economy, for example. So they were starting to, you know, get rid of some of those union protections and things like that. And let's not forget it was Bob Hawke who deregistered the BLF. Yep. But these days the Labor Party has gone away, away from there. I mean, I'd say today that Bob Hawke, yeah, he ran the unions. He ran them. The unions run this mob now, and that's a very different thing. And, uh, and where we're seeing them take the country... And want to take the country, I think, if they're you know elected, is to make things very hard for small and family. Because that, that's very interesting. Because I saw on just... taxes, on industrial relations, on all of these things, on regulation, um, it's really going to put one massive wet blanket on the economy. And even if a, a particular tax doesn't directly affect you, an economy going into what is going to be a, you know a much more difficult year this year, I mean, two hundred billion dollars of higher taxes over the next ten years can't help. It can only make things weaker, and that bothers me. I mean, I and I, because I, I, it's one of the. I, I read Josh Frydenberg's uh, speech. Uh, mm. he, he made a, a mm. speech this week on the economy, and um, and just talking about this division between the parties. He actually made a quite a, a solid point of in his positioning of the Australian economy by congratulating both parties. Over the period, uh, over the period, saying over the period, things like, you know, floating the dollar and uh, et cetera, et cetera. All these things were were good outcomes for our economy. And we, and we agreed uh, with all of them. 100% and yeah. put us where we are today. Yeah. But what I have noticed is that um, right now this election seems to be uh, quite divisive and looks to me like it's becoming like, it's nearly becoming a, a war, some warfare 
and it's well, getting and on hot. policy too. I, I should stress it's about policy. Yeah, hundred um, yeah, percent. There, there are real differences in in the styles and personalities of, of, of me and Bill Shorten, and people make their own judgments about those. Um, but on policy, there are huge differences. I mean, Labor are going to make very big changes to our economy. It's not like, oh, you know, it can all go ahead. The policy settings will largely be kept the same, and which is what Kevin Rudd promised back in 2007. Mm-hmm. And then we found out he went and did something very different. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was Peter Garrett back before that elected where he said, you know, we'll change it all on the quiet. And they, and they did. And it's taken us 10 years to get back our economy back to where it is today from that decision 10, 10 years ago, over 10 years ago when the government changed from John Howard and Peter Costello. So, you know, the differences are big. They're big on tax. They're big on, on regulation. They're big on, on a lot of social issues. And, and I know people are concerned about where those issues would go under Labor. I mean, um, even this debate, you know, we've had around Australia Day. I mean, I was, I'm a great respecter of our history um, because I think if you understand your history, you can chart a path to your future and you don't repeat the mistakes of the past. But you've got to be honest about your history. You can't sort of pick and choose it. And so we have to embrace all of it. 60,000 years of, of wonderful Indigenous living culture in this country. But, you know, what about the stories of our, our first um, settlers who came here? And, and frankly, those who didn't come here by choice, like my, my ancestors, you know, they went in a very marginal adventure back then. Those first 20, 30 years back here in Sydney at the start, it could have gone very pear-shaped and almost did. And, you know, people perished. They turned up sick, destitute on these ships, and they carved out a country out of nothing. Now, you know, what I've really been upset about when we've had this debate is the way it seems over the last 20 or 30 years, this political correct culture about talking about our past, young people are growing up and being taught to despise our past. And they should have pride in what we've achieved as a nation. Sure, we've got to acknowledge the stuff that happened. You know, none of us were there. It was a different time. It's easy to judge people in hindsight. We weren't there. But we've got to acknowledge what they achieved because it was that same can-do culture of people back then 200 years ago that is the same can-do culture I see in migrants come in the post-war mm. period, you know, the Greeks and the Italians and, and before them many years, you know, the Italian, uh, sorry, the, the, the Chinese and the Lebanese and others. And today, more recently, you know, through from the Vietnamese, through those coming from Nepal and places like that, I mean, they, it's the same thing. They come, they have a go, they get a go, they succeed, they start businesses, they educate their kids. That's our culture, I think, as a, as a country. And when people sneer at our past... I think they do us a great disservice. And I want young people to, to understand our history, to appreciate it, the good and the bad, so it can inform who we are as a people. That's, that's, that, and I, 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 that's a very balanced way of putting it. And I, I love the fact that this is straight, you're saying this straight after the Australia Day weekend. That's yeah. very important. And what's interesting about it and what resonated with me when you were just talking about that is that on my late mother's side and on her mother's side, uh, uh, I had four bears on the Sirius, and they were convicts. And, I was on the Scarborough. And, and well, there you go. And there was, and I've got actually a poster yeah. with the name on there. And interestingly enough, on the Sirius, um, uh, they got married. The two yeah. convicts got married to each other, and they received their freedom. Yeah. And uh, like you just said, they went and had a crack, and they opened up an inn in the Blue Mountains called Collett's Inn. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's that's my mother's wow. four bears on her mother's side, and yeah. uh, so and. That's exactly what you're talking about. That's for me. That's part of my culture. It's part and of. I our acknowledge the story. indigenous stuff. It's a hundred percent. Yeah. We probably the college in probably got built on their yeah. uh, on their land, but yeah. uh, but we've got to build, bring it all together. And I think it's really important for young people to recognise it. Um, Prime Minister, we're just going to go to the break, and when yeah, we sure. come back, I want to talk to you about, and it's close to my heart, and all our small business listeners. I want to talk to you about the economy. I, yeah, I think it's yeah. really important. Sure. I'm back on with our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, and uh, we've been chatting about a whole lot of stuff in the first part. But the second part, I just I, I think because of our small business listeners, they're very interested to know the position of this government in relation to the economy because the macro environment affects how small businesses run. I do, before I want to get on to that, Prime Minister, I want to talk to you quickly. There is, it is, I, I, I want to make this statement. 
and I would like your, your reflection on it. It's not a world of small business versus big business. No. We have to have – big business don't operate without small business and yeah. small business don't operate without big business. If you're yeah. down at the Crown Casino, yeah. it's not the Crown Casino. It's all the small businesses that apply the Crown Casino. And what is your position on – because, I mean, unfortunately for me, I see the class warfare talking about big business are bad. Um, blah, blah, and we're going to tax them and take money away from them and redistribute it amongst the poor people. That rhetoric for me is old old hat. Um, please explain, listeners, what, what, how did this ecosystem works? What's your view? Well, it's, um, I'll give you an example. I mean, Aquinas, you know, I think it's 13,000 small family businesses in their supply chain. Aquinas doesn't do well. They don't do well. You make the great point about Crown. I mean, many years ago I went down and spoke to Crown. I was social services minister at the time, and we were looking at things at uh, employment programs for Indigenous people and young people. They are sort of sharing their training through their supply chain of of small businesses because small businesses often can't support a lot of that off their own bat. But Crown understood that if the small businesses who were supplying them are well trained, then that's good for their business too. I mean, business is a win win proposition. Um, you enter into a contract, you enter into a deal, it's an exchange. Um, both sides are supposed to do well <laughs> out of that exchange. And that's the, I think, the positive relationship between small and larger businesses. And so I agree, this idea that you're supposed to punish some um, to reward others, um, I've never bought because there's one economy and everybody's in it and they all contribute to it. Where I think we have... It's to, a family. It, it's it, one it, big family in this country. It is, but everyone in the family also has to behave themselves. Correct. That's, that's the other bit. And so where I'm much stronger is on multinationals paying their fair share of tax. Mm. Um, when small businesses mm. are paying their fair share of tax, yep. resident here in Australia, and don't have structures which enables them to move you know, their debt arrangements around the world and change their interest charges and all that sort of thing. We know all the stuff they do, yep. and we've changed the law. We changed that yep. law. Labor voted against it, actually. And uh, that is generating now billions of extra dollars in revenue from those big multinationals in Australia. So we've acted on that. Um, we've also got the very big digital companies today. Now they've come out of um, they've come into a, a new economy world where there hasn't been a lot of um, regulation. Um, where you know you've got an old economy where all our rules and regulations and taxes are set up for them. Then you get this new economy world of digital companies, and those. Rules don't apply the same way because they their businesses are different. And so they've sort of operated in the Wild West a bit and not having to pay as much tax and not having been to be as fair to other businesses in the system because they just don't fit any of the definitions. So we've got to make sure the, the new economy rules basically provide the same protections and assurances as the old economy rules. And then you've got the, just the whole thing about market power. And that's, you know, the ACCC has an important role here. And I've been very supportive of Rod Sims when he's been standing up for the little guys. I, I changed the law here um, on Section 46, which is a, a well-known um, uh, provision of the Act, which small business people will know uh, when, when it comes to what was called an effects test. So uh, this means that if a, a big business uses its part market power to unfairly crush a small business, well, I changed the law to give more power to the small businesses to make sure there's a level playing, for, playing field. That's as treasurer. Yeah, I did that when yep. I was treasurer. It was one of the first things I did as treasurer. So um, evening up the playing field is what you want. That's so what governments do. That, yeah, we've just got to make sure that small business, you know, if they're dealing with the big you know, grocery companies, all those guys, the farmers and all the rest of it, that they just get a fair go. So you've got to level the playing field. So that's, that's one principle. But the other principle, which is incredibly important, is the one you've mentioned. And that is that it is one, it's one economy. They're all in it. Mm. And so, you, you know, you've got to allow them all to benefit from each other uh, doing well. And it's yeah. delicate. Oh it, oh, it is. And then we've got, then there's the banks and the energy companies, which is something different again. And you know yeah, more yeah. about banks than, than any of us, but they're heavy, heavily regulated sectors. And there's a reason for that. I mean, if they weren't, it, there wouldn't be an Australian bank in it in the country. Mm. They'd all be owned by foreigners. Yep. That, that would be the case. I mean, if people want no regulation in the banking sector, well, you can do that, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, and so these industries, whether it's banking or energy, electricity companies and so on, their businesses are heavily protected by a lot of regulation. And they, in some cases, I mean, in the, in the energy sector, there is a legislated rate of return for those businesses. Who wouldn't like to be a small business that had one of those? And so they get a, a position of market power as a result of the regulation. And so that's why governments have to be very careful 
that that system doesn't disadvantage small businesses on what they're paying for their electricity or their gas or, or things like that. So Or their business loan. Or, or their business loan. And sometimes these big businesses, whether they're banks or energy companies, go, oh, you know, we believe in the free market. Well, you, you're not in the free market. <laughs> you're yep. in a banking sector and a, a heavily regulated energy sector, which I would not describe as a free market. And there's good reason for Because no one else can go and do what they do. Exactly. So there's there's reasons for all of that. But let's not pretend that somehow they're in the, the, the laissez-faire economy of, you know... <laughs> but there's a big difference of between... 17th century France. But there's a different big difference between what you just said and creating some hatred against mm. these big organisations and creating mm. a, a class warfare, yeah. um, that, that these are the evil demons of the world. Um, and, 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 and if they're doing something that's irregular or whatever, that's exactly what government's here for. They, they pull them up and say, you well, can't do that. Well, you do. And look, we saw this with the Royal Commission in the banking and financial sector. And what that demonstrated was these uh, practices of, of, of conduct which really, you know, yeah. um, offended and damaged many, many Australians and many Australian small businesses too. And that had to be called out and that's done. But let's also understand, I mean, I was criticised heavily um, for my, you know, my position on this for a long time. I eventually was the one who actually called the Royal Commission. I remember. We, actually, it was before our last, yeah. it was just before our last, uh, the last time we got together on the yeah. podcast. I mean, Labor didn't call one when they were in government. I ended up calling one. But one of the reasons... I was so careful about this, is, and we've seen the impact of it now. Small business know this. One of my concerns was is that it would, um, it would clamp up credit in the economy. Now, we've actually seen that. Yep. Now, at the end of the day, we went ahead with it because on balance, this was necessary to um, you know, rule a line on this conduct and deal with this conduct and ensure that further changes were made and, 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 and that will all occur. But let's not pretend that it didn't come at a cost to um, credit in, in the marketplace and if you have a constrained credit position in the marketplace, well, that slows the economy. And so we're going to have to work very hard, uh, I think, to make sure that we, we um, get that credit moving again so businesses can expand and grow. And we made a big decision on that at the end of last year, which was that $2 billion securitization yep. fund, which was to deepen the small business lending um, market. So more players, just like what you did mm -hmm. in, the, in the home loan market all those years ago and continue to do, we want more. Um, of of those businesses providing credit to small businesses who can access their funds at a much reduced cost than what they can do now, so they can compete with the big banks. So I know, just for those people listening, I mean, what the prime minister is talking about here is they last year they introduced um, a um, a fund which is, and I can't remember exactly how much money was put into two billion, the fund. two billion, okay, and it's run through what they call the Australian Office of Financial Management, which sort of sits under the RBA or Treasury, one of those funds, um, yeah. Treasury, and its its job there is to um, sort of seed a bigger fund over time to lend money to small business owners and or invest in small businesses. Yeah, so it's just not a, um, you know, a close shop for the big banks. Correct. Because I mean, a lot of these new small lenders, I mean, they do charge a bit more for small business, but one of the reasons for that is because A, they're doing more on a cash flow basis, one, but B, where they have to access their finance for is much more expensive and they get it from overseas. So this enables them to get access a deeper, more liquid um, market for those funds to to on borrow to uh, on loan to um, the small business sector. Yeah, and and, and to me that was a, a that was a, a fantastic initiative, and I did write about this last year, and I and I and I, I urge uh, you know Australian small businesses just bank that one, remember that one because that's really important. When uh, we are talking about the economy, and uh, I'm a mad reader of the Reserve Bank because for me. Politics, both sides or all sides, um, you know, there's lots of different parts of politics. For me, the most balanced view on our economy is the Reserve Bank, for me. Um, and so I look very deeply into what the Reserve Bank's got to say, and they do, they have what they call financial, twice a year they put out a, um, an advice, once in February, once in um, September, which is talks about the financial stability of the economy. And in that, they talk about uh, lots of things, all the asset classes. One of the asset classes they talk about is property, residential property. And of course, the big talk in Australia is about property. Everyone wants to talk about property. It's an Australian pastime. And what are they, they said in the last um, financial stability report was that Australia's in good shape. Economically, we're in good shape across the board. 
and and to, to a large extent, you know, interest rates are low and everything that everybody's doing, both at fiscal level, which is the government level and the monetary policy level of the Reserve Bank, is has been pretty well done. But they did highlight something. They did say, but, you know, there are potential future shocks coming to Australia from various places around the world. It could be Brexit. It could be, you know, Trump, what he's doing. It could be the China-US trade problems. Who knows? I mean, there's, but there are lots of things going on in the world. They did say that certain asset classes, like property, um, are vulnerable to shock. Now, we can't control, you can't control, none of us can control, small businesses can't control those things that are happening overseas. One of the really important ones for me is the future shock of change in policy around how you tax properties. Mm. Now, I know this is an overdone thing, but I think we've got to get it on the table. And, I, and it's certainly something I've been putting on the table for a long time. And I'm not here, to, I'm not saying just because I want to criticise Shorten, because I'm not here to criticise Shorten. To be frank with you, whether or not getting rid of negative gearing or changing negative gearing and or capital gains tax around investment properties is good or bad policy is really not the issue today. The issue is if a change occurs, will that create a future shock mm. given where we are right now? I heard this, uh, this very party, that the, the opposition, say only two days ago they need to raise a lot of money yeah. to stop any future shock that might occur in the economy and they're going to tax us for that. And so what I'm saying to you is what, if you're worried about a future shock, then why wouldn't you not make sure you don't create a future shock? Yeah, that is the, that is the biggest goal you can imagine. Um, putting a $200 billion lead weight on the Australian economy, which is their plan, a whole range of additions. You've mentioned negative gearing, capital gains tax going up by 50%, the changes to the trusts that they're going to put in place the retirees tax that's five billion dollars a year on removing uh, the rebatable dividend imputation credits that's hitting retirees all across the country and it's hitting a lot of small businesses too by the way because as you know when small businesses go through some you know um, difficult periods on on their earnings what they do is they will buy you know combat shares things mm. like this and that gives them access to the rebatable credits which gives them a cash flow and that is often just for them personally, so they can you know pay the bills at home. And that's usually their retirement fund too, by the yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. So this is very important. Um, but the, let's talk about the housing market. Um, when I was treasurer, there were two big things that were weighing on our AAA credit rating, which we were able to maintain. One was, you know, is the budget going to get back in the balance, and can we believe you? Well. They've, they've, when you say when you can believe you're talking about the rating agencies right. and everybody who looks at Australia's exactly. AAA the, rating. The, the, the date of the surplus kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. I don't know how many times Swanee pushed it back. But um, when I became treasurer, we went, well, this is the date and that has to stay the date. And every decision we make means to make sure we land on that date. And that was a surplus in, 21, um, in 2021. And we held to that. And after a while... After you know successive budget updates, they went no, nope, they're they're on track. They're going to hit that. We're now happy about that. The government has got the finances under control. They deserve credit for that. The next thing was they were worried about the housing market, and they were worried about a housing market crash. Now, sometimes these northern hemisphere agencies don't really understand Australia's residential markets. They because um, yep. over there, I mean, uh, over here, investment properties are owned by mums and dads. Mm. Over in Europe and in the United States and other places, they're owned by institutions. Um, um, and that doesn't happen here. Uh, and the other thing was there's a fundamental demand supply imbalance in our residential market. Um, so it's they're real values. They might be high, but they're real. And so that's often misunderstood. But we were getting to a point, say, here in Sydney, where house price growth uh, was running at about 18%. And to us, to, that was... Ex caused by the supply-demand imbalance, but it was being exacerbated by what was some very hot interest-only lending into the investor market. Yep. And so what we had to do is sort of get that having a soft landing. And so APRA made a decision with the support of the Reserve Bank and, and others, including the government. APRA is the bank's regulator? Yeah. Um, and they made that decision to, to curb the growth in interest-only lending for investors. So it was over 40%, and they put a 30% cap on it. Now, it got under that cap. That restriction's now been lifted. Um, a whole range of reasons. The, 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 the housing market came has come in, recognised for what is a soft landing. The issue is not where we are now. The issue is what happens next. Correct. Now, 
we've got it back on a soft landing. Now, the, the ratings agencies have looked at Australia and said, okay, you've had a soft landing. That's a good thing because if you have a crash landing, consumer confidence goes, that affects the broader economy. You're looking at very, very negative scenarios. That's why we are very concerned that if you change the tax system, as you say, it's, it's a change. Any change will change. Um, and in my view, this will have a very negative change and that will cause prices to fall and rents to rise. And we saw it happen last time. When Paul Keating did it, that's exactly what happened. Hmm. And we'll see it again. And what happened with Paul Keating too, by the way? He reversed it. He reversed it because he knew it was just a massive uh, uh, mistake. It was a total disaster. And it was a year later or something, he reversed he, the whole he decision. He reversed it. And they say, oh, that only happened in Sydney. Didn't happen. Well, all of our other markets, you go to Brisbane now, you go to Melbourne now. Those markets, residential housing markets now, are as sophisticated yep. now as the Sydney market. Yep, was back, back then. Back then, yep. there was a lot of, I think, uh, disparate differences between the maturity of each of the markets. So um, this, I, I talk about as the difference between a scalpel and, and a chainsaw. We had to perform some careful surgery on the lending market for housing to, to, to get us to a soft landing. And we achieved that through that very very finely calibrated thing that was done through the banking regulator, the lending regulator. Changing the tax law is huge. That's policy change. That's, that's structural change. That's stru Once you do that, it's not easy to pull back. And it took Keating a year. If we'd got the APRICOR wrong, that could have been changed the next afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that. There's flex. It's massive flexibility. And I know that APRA and Reserve Bank and others we're watching that change month after month after month after month, and, and they've now lifted it because they thought, okay, it's done its job. Let's get out of the way. You change the tax law, it's like going over the top of the, uh, the, the, the at the top point of the roller coaster. You're locked in then. You're strapped in. Get ready for the ride, and it's only going one way, and it's going fast. And uh, that is not what our economy needs. And even if you don't have an investment property, you live in a house <laughs> which is affected has its value affected just like everybody else's. It'll affect the value of every single property. And when you think about sort of coastal parts of Australia, where there are a lot of uh, investment properties in, you know, in, in holiday towns and, you know, whether it's where I was down at, uh, at, at uh, over the summer, down at Shoalhaven Heads or a bit further down around Sussex Inlet or, or places like that or up the north coast or out in the bush. I mean, who's going to buy these properties? Hmm. And what do they think that will mean to the values in those places? Uh, if you can't negatively gear an existing property, well, every home today is an existing property. And every small business in that town and in that area, in that region, relies on people who come to those places and spend their holidays there and, uh, and spend dough at the cafe or whatever it is, or the butcher, wherever they're going. And uh, our whole economy, whether you don't like negative gearing or not, it's a policy issue. Like that's To me, it's totally relevant. This is part of the fabric of where we live today. Yeah. And you can't change it. No. And, and you know, people say, you know, but, uh, other countries don't have it. Well, that, that's true. Uh, the UK doesn't have it. It's sort of irrelevant too. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. My point about the UK is, yeah, they haven't had negative gearing for a hundred years like us. And guess what? They have housing affordability challenges too. Yeah. Far worse than we actually for have them in reasons. Australia. Um, because of, you know, supply, demand imbalances and all the same reasons that you see in these things. So... Um, the negative gearing change and the capital gains tax change, because remember the capital gains tax change, increasing capital gains tax by 50%, yeah. that applies to everything, yeah. not just housing. Yep. So if you're a small business that is buying a factory you know, that, you, that you use, things like this, you know, these things, I just think they're so poorly thought through. But you, you made the point before, why are they doing it? Because they want more money. Hmm. When you can't manage your own budget, Governments go and take money out of yours. And the obvious question is, why do they want more money? Yeah, because they just want to spend and spend well, and what, spend. Correct. What are you going to do with it? Yeah, they'll just spend it everywhere. We've kept spending. The reason we've been able to get the budget back into balance this year, Josh, uh, we'll hand down the first surplus budget since Peter Costello's. Wow, that's a good pass. Yeah, 12 well, years. Well done. <laughs> it took us 12 years to get, it'll take us 12 years to have got back there. And the reason we've been able to do that is We've focused on economic policies that have promoted growth in the economy. That means that people have got off welfare payments and into jobs, which means they've gone from receiving money from the government to actually paying taxes. And that's been incredibly important. But the other thing is, is we got expenditure under control. We've got expenditure growth down to less than 
Now, even under the Howard government, it was 3.3%. In fact, spending growth under our government is the lowest of any government in more than 50 years. And you should explain what spending growth means. Well, that means each, you know, we, the, the government spends, um, you know, well over $450 billion right. a it's year. It's what you spend, the it's government. It's what the government, the Commonwealth government spends on pensions, yep. on healthcare and all of these things. And we meet all of our commitments in that area. But you've got to manage the growth. Like in any business, you know, manage your cost curve. Yeah. You've got to flatten your cost curve. And that's what we've been doing for the last five years, flattening that cost curve, making sure that we're building up the revenues, not by increasing taxes, but by letting the economy grow. And this is the big difference between us and Labor. And then the taxes come in anyway because the economy makes more money and they of pay more tax. they do. So they say, we need more taxes because we want to spend more money. My answer to that is, you can't control, can't control how much you're spending, so you're going to hit Australians with higher taxes. So when I, I talked about Degreso, you know, that, that drug. We can list that without increasing taxes. I was up in Cairns. We're putting $60 million into the, uh, the development of the Cairns Hospital, 150 more beds. Now, Labor went and came and promised the same thing like two days after I was there. Big difference? I'm not putting up taxes to do it. Yeah. And you, well, it also helps that you are the ex-treasurer mm. and you're the <laughs> prime minister and uh, you understand treasury. Well, I mean, that's that's a big deal. I mean, I think Australians should should recognise that we are, you know, if, if I'm investing in business, I'm looking for expertise. And at the end of the day, you know, where's the expertise? We've got to make sure the expertise, I'm not suggesting they don't have the expertise, but I, I go for known quantities. And, and I think that's really important. Well, I think they've just got the wrong thinking about this stuff. They, they, they genuinely have a different view about how you run government finances and an economy. And they do not believe that increasing taxes slows the economy. Now, I just don't understand that. Me either. I, no, I don't get it. And I don't think most small businesses would understand that either. Yeah. Prime Minister, we, we, you know, we have a lot of massive downloads of small business owners and they're always mm. looking for inspiration. And I know they've got a lot of inspiration from you today, particularly in relation to, uh, you know, like how you manage your life, you know, that whole life balance. I mean, because a lot of them are probably sitting there thinking, oh, well, he's got a good life and he gets to see his family every day. But, but they they probably don't don't realise that you have to make as many sacrifices as they do, which actually makes them feel better to some extent because everybody wants to be in a similar sort of boat. And But one of the things, you know, you know, I, many years ago I, I had this idea about um, – Recognition. I, I was lucky enough to get a, a, a Order of Australia award, um, and, um, and and for which I was very proud. Um, and I said at the time, you know what, I would ha- happily give that away. Not happily, but I would give that away <laughs> if, for somehow, we could build an award system for what I'd like to call people in business. Yeah. Not small, mm. not large, not medium. Just people in business. Mm. You know, recognizing people who might be just a a shoe, shoe person who's been uh, um, repairing shoes in some town in Perth for the last 40 years, but always been there, turn up every day, done a good job, never overcharged, looked after everybody, built a community, formed part of the community and never looked back and could have been a migrant for that matter too. Um, and I was wondering whether or not you would consider that um, being involved in a, a project where we build a prime minister wards for people in business. I am interested in that, and we, when we should talk more about it. I, for many years now, um, I've been involved with a program called the Ethnic Business Awards in Australia. That's why I, got, well, I was yeah. saw you the other night yeah. doing it, and um, with Joseph Asaf, who yep. you know was a great migrant, came from Lebanon, um, as he says in his famous book, in someone else's shoes. <laughs> he turned up literally in someone else's shoes, and he and Angela have been running this uh, for you know thirty years, I think, or thereabouts. And Jenny always loves coming to this event with me. You know, we're good friends of, the, of, uh, of Joseph and Angela, but because she just loves the stories, the stories of these businesses. And some years ago, Joseph added the in- Indigenous businesses to this. And the release and, and, and liberation that comes from people uh, who have come from sometimes the most difficult of backgrounds and what they've been able to achieve and for it to be recognised. But what's really great on the night is just seeing how pumped they are to be recognised. Just be recognised, and um, it is it is a, a wonderful program, and we we support that program. We 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 sponsor it, we support it, and we assist it. And uh, uh, Major General Jeffrey, the the former uh, Governor General, is the uh, patron of that wonderful institution. And so I think there's a lot in that. I mean, as you know, I mean every every community, every town around the country has their small business awards, and you know you go to the fish and chip shop, and there it is, they got theirs, and and I remember many years ago, a business Jenny was working in as just a small business. So we went along 
because they were up for an award uh, at the, you know, that we're at the local RSL and they were chuffed about that and that was great. And these things as a member of parliament, I go to all the time. So I think it is great to have the recognition. In terms of the Australian honour system though, I should stress that there is the provision because you, yeah, I got, you were a recipient. I, totally. um, but, um, you know, it isn't just, you know, to very high profile people like yourself who have made those contributions, but those contributions are often recognised at a community level, um, particularly under the OIM um, provision. And, and that's people usually who've run businesses and also been involved in the local surf club or been great supporters of local community organisations through their business efforts. Um, or, you know, um, running great programs to employ young people or apprentices or things like that. And I think the honours program is good for that type of thing. But, uh, you know, um, we're running a program, as you know, uh, at the moment, um, sort of in the mentor type <laughs> uh, strain, um, carrying on from the work you, you do publicly uh, around digital business and, and trying to you know, demonstrate how people can be champions in that area and recognise what they're being able to achieve. But, you know, the, the stories of small business are amazing. Um, and I, as you know, I get to meet them all around the country now. I, lo- I love doing it. You, uh, you recently, recently met one up in, um, was it? Uh, up in, in the Daintree. Yeah, in the Daintree, yeah. Daintree uh, Helicopter services. business, yeah. Yeah, I went, I went up, to, we were up in Cooktown and, um, and I opened their, their, their new premises right down there at Cooktown Airport. And uh, there's a great, great, great guy there, Greg Letondeur, I think his name is. He, and he has been running this business for 37 years. And he just went up there and he's a pilot himself. His son's an engineer. Um, they have invested in this incredible new equipment. He never asked for a dollar or anything like that. He's investing in his community. He's got his grandson there with me as we're opening the, um, the place. And there was the little, you know, lie down area in the only air conditioned part of the shed where the, where, um, his grandson often visits, um, employs 10 people. And he was just so lit up. He was so lit up and you know, his investment in that airport, you know, it's got a, de- what, what he's got there is a servicing centre. Um, they're basically completely rebuilding old aircraft and putting, you know, having serviceable aircraft now, which can service the entire Cape area. Um, they're looking now to do another one of these. Um, there's just no stopping them. Um, and they just have a vision for what they're doing. They love what they're doing. But as uh, when we started in this conversation, the thing that lights him up, I employ 10 people. Yeah. I want to employ 30 people. You know, and he's talking about young people. He's talking about indigenous people. Um, he sees his business as a way, not just to support him and his family, but he sees his business as a way to contribute. And I, I'm going to close this off now, but I'm going to say this, what I'm getting from this is, uh, he's in the business of employing people, but he's, but he's in business of servicing people in his area for his service. I've just spoken to a prime minister who's not in the business of politics. But he's in the he's he's in the business of serving Australia. That's your business. It is, mate, and um, I love it. <laughs> and um, I, right now, I'm I'm looking to keep every customer I got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and uh, and get more, and uh, and I, I they won't be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it's, it's an interesting point because I'm always talking about <laughs> getting customers. Getting customers is hard. New yeah. ones, retaining what, you, what your current customer right. is far more efficient. Yeah. And I think you're doing a great job. Thanks a lot, mate. Thanks it's very been, much. It's been good chatting. Thanks, Thanks mate. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.